Welcome to the Brett Boone Podcast. As we sit down and explore the mind of former MLB All-Star, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove winner, Brett Boone. As he sits down with his friends from the world of professional sports. On this episode of the Boone Podcast, Brett sits down with the TV voice of the Houston Astros, Todd Gallus. And now, here's your host, Brett Boone. Welcome to the Boone Podcast. I'm Brett Boone. And today on the program, I'm joined by the TV voice of the world champion, Houston Astros. We got a little history together. Both grew up in Philly when my dad was catching for the Phillies. His father, voice of the Phillies for many years. Um, And today, jumps on the podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, Todd Callis. Todd, thanks for coming on the program. Booney, great to be with you. It's been a long time, but you're right, Brett. We uh, we grew up together basically in the Phillies uh, clubhouse in the tunnels beneath Veteran Stadium. And it's 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 cool because uh, as this podcast has gone on, I'm, I'm getting to interview a lot of people, um, you know, from those days. And I, I had the fanatic on, which which <laughs> cracked me up. And we talk, I remember those days uh, when Dave first came on the scene in Philadelphia. And me just being a little kid, I think you're three or four years older than me, but I remember mm-hmm. following that fanatic around it, into the, you know, the, the depths of the veteran stadium and in places that nobody even know exists. But uh, I'm looking forward to this um, spring trading. How excited are you? Upcoming season. I know you in Houston, you, it's, it's kind of go to the world series or bust lately. Been a pretty awesome run for you guys. Man, it's been crazy. I mean, I've been here six years now, and so far they've gotten to two uh, American League Championship Series and lost. They've gotten to two American League Championship Series and won, and then lost in the World Series. And then that was in 19 and 21. And then they've won two World World Championships in 17 and 22. So I've been there six years. I've gotten to the ALCS all six. Uh, we'll get our second World Series ring to go along with two American League Championship rings. So, yeah, it's been a a crazy run since I joined the Astros in 2023 looks pretty good. Again, when you pick up a guy like Jose Abreu to add to that offense, they should be right there again this year. Yeah, it is. And and I love watching the Houston Astros. There's just, <clears throat> there's something about them. And I talk about it all the time from, you know, cause from the offensive standpoint, obviously their pitch and depth is great uh, in the bullpen and that starting rotation, although you're going to be missing Verlander. Um, you know, which is which is a big thing, but but I look at that staff up and down, it's still really formidable. And uh, I just I just have always watched that Astros team because I'm I'm kind of a, a a mental side of hitting geek, and I really watch certain teams and, and just the way they interact with one another. And I've been watching this team for five or six years. And I'm just impressed with the communications from hitter to hitter to hitter. And I can tell I know those conversations because I've been on some teams where the offense was really astute and we really talked to one another. And it and it's we're talking about current pitchers, who's hitting, what he's going to do in a certain situation, who's hitting behind me, who's hitting in front of me, who's in the bullpen. Is it a lefty? Is it a righty? What does he tend to do in crunch time? And I see those guys all the time up and down. I always, I always say they, they talk about all these offenses and Philly was great last year, but I'm for the last pretty much decade. I'll take that Astro lineup. They've had a few guys that, that have come and gone, but you've had that base since since Bregman got there, Altuve. It's just it's really fun for me to watch because I know as a hitter, 
uh, I know when I've been in those lineups, those really good lineups that think one through nine, I, I watch them during the game. And when the, when the uh, cameras are panning them, I love, because I know exactly what's going on. It's, it's a really cool thing. It is. And, and you being a part of some great lineups, as you said, you know what that's like one through nine when you have solid guys up and down the lineup because you don't want to be the guy to fail. You want to be the guy that continues that train rolling. And there are so many unique personalities in this lineup and they all do it a little bit differently. You know, going from Jose Altuve, one of the smallest players in the league, but uh, has huge game and huge power. As we all know, he's about to get to 2000 hits uh, this season all the way to the beast that is Jordan Alvarez, who doesn't get enough credit for his plate discipline because he knows the strike zone as well as maybe anybody on the team other than Alex Bregman. You've got Michael Brantley, who's just one of the greatest pure hitters the game's seen in the last 10 or 15 years. Uh, mentioned Bregman. Tucker's an up-and-coming hitter who's going to be getting better and better. I'm excited to watch Jose Abreu every day because that guy just brings an RBI to the plate every time he steps in there. And when he gets runners on, he, he just seems to grind and focus even more. And I think one of the things you said about kind of watching each guy and how they go about it, I think that's what made Jeremy Pena the player he was for the postseason last year. I think he is such a great student of the game. He absorbed everything throughout the year, and he didn't have the best regular season. Uh, he didn't finish top three in the American League Rookie of the Year voting. But when the time came where it mattered the most, he was ready. And I think a lot of that has to do with what you talked about, watching the other guys in the lineup and how they handled things. And he was just always been a kid who was able to quiet the moment in the biggest stages. Yeah, you mentioned Pena. I love Pena. And and they, you know, they lost Correa and uh, – on on paper, it looked like a huge loss. Pena stepped right in, and for my mind, I'll take Pena right now. If everything's the same, I'll take Pena right now. I, I really think he's got a bright future. Uh, we got Dusty coming up on on a few future episodes sometime in the next week. And I, I remember I was in the MLB studio when Dusty got the job. And, you know, I'm, I'm not going to go into it today. I have my thoughts on the big scandal that went on a few years back. But the hiring of Dusty Baker, and I was there, and I was one of his first interviews, and, and I had him on, and, and I thought to myself, what a freaking move right here by the Houston Astros. Hiring the one guy that's kind of universally beloved and almost like when all that was going down, he was the perfect guy to uh, to step into that position and kind of shade everybody from all that was going on. You know, it was before the 2020 season where obviously, as everybody knows, we went through the COVID and there was no, no fans in the stands. But what a perfect fit, I thought at the time. I remember I, I finished the interview. I said, that's the signing of the offseason right there. They were talking about free agents, comings and goings. But we just had him on the, the pilot. Like I said, he, he's going to be coming out soon. He... He's a guy that, Todd, I played against for years and years. Uh, he was always in the other dugout. Never played for him. But he's one of those guys that kind of transcends the game. You never hear a negative word about him. Everybody that played against him plays with him uh, or plays for him, rather, always has nothing but great things to say. He made you feel like you were buddies, even though I didn't even know Dusty. You know, I'd walk onto the field. He'd be in the visiting dugout. He, he'd wave to me, hey, Booney, what's going on? And it felt like he was that guy like, oh, yeah, I've known Dusty for years. And until recently, I hadn't really had an in-depth conversation with him. But after I did, 
uh, I realize why he's so beloved, why I have that feeling towards him. He's just really a, a special guy. What do you see on it? You, you get to see him on a daily basis. Is everything I'm saying true? Uh, I, th- I think it pretty much is because everybody else is kind of uh, goes down that line when it comes to Dusty Baker. Yeah, you're on point. We just had last Thursday a night with Dusty Baker. They called it the night with a living legend, and it benefited the MD Anderson Cancer Center, which is the the foremost cancer center uh, in the nation. It happens to be down in Houston. And it was great. We just had like a basic fireside chat for about an hour in front of a, an audience. And it was uh, just a cool moment just the, to be able to take Dusty through his career. There are times when he got a little emotional. Uh, he's overcome cancer. He's done so much in his life. And Booney, you're right. Uh, even though you said you didn't know him when uh, he greeted you, he probably felt like he knew you because he played against your dad all those years and the Dodgers and the Phillies went head to head in a few NLCSs. But he is everybody's friend and he knows people in every walk of life, the food industry, the music industry, obviously the baseball industry. Uh, he's into wines now. He's got a, a, a winery out there in California. But if you ask him, you said you're going to have him on your show. If you ask him who he he heard from after the the World Series victory, because everybody was so happy for Dusty. Took him about a month and a half, almost two months to get back to everybody. But he heard from everybody, from Barack Obama to Snoop Dogg and everybody in between. So he, <laughs> he, he crosses all barriers, and he is the coolest cat in the room whenever you walk in, uh, even though he's in his early 70s. Dusty's always going to out-cool whoever else is in the room. He is, too. And and I, I, I sat down with him at the winter meetings this past year. And we sat down for about 45 minutes and we just chatted, you know, just about life, about, you know, of course, baseball. We touched on a little bit, but I told him, I said, Dusty, I'm kind of jealous of you. And he, he said, why? I said, because you you walk around life and in this society now where we're, you know, we're pretty co- politically correct. I said, Dusty Baker can say anything he wants. He can have an opinion on anything and no one says anything. They just say, oh, that's Dusty. And he started la- <laughs> he started laughing and he goes, yeah, Booney, I can get away with a little bit more. He goes, but. But but it was just he he is he's that guy he's that guy that that uh, his reputation definitely precedes him and he's just he's he's great for the game of baseball I love seeing guys in in today's era uh, with the, all the analytics and the data which I think by the way uh, you know I've I've been kind of at first when it came on the scene I was kind of skeptical of it but the more I've been looking into it man I, I'd love to have access as a player to what these guys have access to today. Um, but it's just cool still having that Dusty Baker, Bruce Bochy's coming back into the fold with the Texas Rangers. I just love having those guys around because they, they're just great baseball men that are beloved by the masses. And I, we need the guys like that still in the game. And, and it's cool to see, I, I turn on the Houston Astros and I still see Dusty Baker in, in the, in the dugout. It, it makes me feel good. Like, all right, we, there's still a little bit of a, of a, uh, I don't know what I call it, but a connection between my generation, which ended in the early 2000s to today's to the 70s and 80s when we were kids growing up. So I I think it's really good for the game. It is. And I I think you're right. I think there needs to be a a healthy blend of analytics along with guys who have been in the game for a while. And I think it probably the pendulum swung a little too far until recent years. And all of a sudden you see, as you mentioned, Bruce Bochy getting hired by the Rangers. Buck Showalter got hired uh, the year before by the Mets and, of course, Dusty prior to that with the Astros. So some of these old school guys are getting back in the fold. So it's good to see that trend going back to those guys, because I really think uh, the best managers are the ones that can blend both. You can't just have one or the other. 
Yeah, there is a healthy mix in there somewhere. Um, childhood. All right. Where where did dad have his where did your dad have his place? I, I was across the, the Walt Whitman. I was in South Jersey. Uh, where where'd your dad live during those Philly years of the 70s? He was in Radnor, so just on the main line outside of Philly, and uh, loved growing up there. As as I'm probably the one of the few kids in in my high school that ended up leaving the Philly area. A lot of people grow up there, live there, and start their own families there. So I do enjoy going back when I can. I, I still have some of my best friends from high school uh, still living in Philly, but we grew up in the you know the main line of of uh, Philadelphia. I ended up going to Villanova basketball camp for a few years because I was right down the road. So. Uh, we had we had some good times. I I wish I lived a little closer to the stadium. Your your dad got into the stadium a lot earlier than my dad did, so you were always out in the field shagging early BP and catching those fly balls behind your back. But we never we never really got to do that as much. Every once in a while, I don't know if this name uh, if you remember this, but Ray Ripplemeyer was a pitching coach back in the day. Without, the without a doubt, number four, Ray Ripplemeyer. Number four, I remember so, him. His son, Brad, was kind of in between my my brother and, and my age. So we became friends with him. And so every once in a while, we would stay at the Ripple Myers. And they lived a lot closer to the stadium like you guys. So we would go in and get the shag early BP uh, off the turf at Veterans Stadium with the, the heat rising off the AstroTurf. But other than that, yeah, I was jealous that you guys were always out there on the field and it looked like you were having a great time. It was such a cool time. And, and now, you know. At, at this stage of our lives, looking back on those on that childhood, uh, it was so special. You know, you take it. I think I took it for granted a little bit when I was a kid running around. But I look back on it now. So cool. it's a different time in baseball. You know, Ruley Carpenter was the owner. Um, it wasn't like today. You know, it was it was uh, kids come to the ballpark. And if you could show you can handle yourself. You know, in a situation, I could go out and shag at five years old. You know, I laughed. <laughs> you know, it was really cool. Dusty told me he's because we, we talked about <clears throat> Dusty and his kid and, you know, the kind of the infamous play in the in the World Series. Yeah. I think it was oh two where JT yep. Snow rescues him from home plate. And Dusty told me, he said, Booney, you know where that came from? And I said, no. And he said. When I was playing against your dad in the 70s and, and we come in, you know, the Dodgers said, I would see you on the field all the time, shagging in the outfield. And I said to myself, one day when I have a kid old enough, I want to give him that experience. He goes, so that's why he was always around. And I always had him everywhere at a young age because I remember uh, growing up and watching you and Aaron and, and all of us running around in the field in Philadelphia, because in Philly, there were a ton of kids. I mean, it was, you know, lefties kids would pop in and, and tugs kids would be down there. And, you know, later in, in, in 79 and 80, we had Pete Rose Jr. out there and Luzinski. So we had a lot of kids uh, running around in that field at different times. Oh my gosh. And, and guys that ended up, being great players in the game. I mean, I'm pretty sure Ryan Luzinski played in the minor leagues for a while. Uh, Gary Maddox Jr. and Derek Maddox were part of that, that crowd back in the day. Uh, you mentioned Tug's kids. There, You and Tug used to shag in the outfield together, right? Because he did the behind-the-back catch and you do a behind-the-back catch. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it was, I mean, you and Aaron, obviously, 
uh, big leaguer. So there was a lot of, and, and Pete Jr. played for a while. So there was a lot of talent in there in addition to just being players' kids. So it was a, I, I got spoiled, Booney. And you probably know this going around in different organizations, but the Phillies organization, you mentioned Willie Carpenter, Bill Giles, also a big part of it, David Montgomery. They treated that organization like a family. And I didn't realize that it wasn't that way for all 30 teams until after I got away from the Phillies. But they are, uh, they're an incredible organization and one that will always be dear to the Callis family. And it's funny too. I, I remember I, I, to this day, I'll have people shoot me pictures of, of that 1980s when they won the world series and the float. Cause I was, on, yeah. were you on the float? Were you there? No, I went to JFK. I waited. I had some buddies. I was a little older than you. So I had some right. buddies with either junior high or high school that we all went down to JFK. Yeah, I jumped on the float like this is big. This is no big deal. Everybody gets to go on the float. <laughs> so I'll see pictures of myself just kind of like, come on, get, let's get this thing over with so I could go home. Uh, <laughs> but but such a, it, it's such a cool, cool time uh, for me growing up. Dad uh, kind of left me alone. You know, he kind of just introduced the game to me, obviously. And, and it was that way my whole my whole childhood. There was never a pressure of, Brett, you need to play baseball. It's just kind of, he always said, it's kind of the family business. And and hopefully you follow my footsteps. And if not, uh, he, mom and dad were going to be supportive and whatever I pursued just so happened at a young age, I knew what I wanted to do. I mean, I think if you had asked me at five years old, Brett, what are you going to do when you grow up? Uh, it was already obvious. It's like, well, I'm going to play 15 years in the big leagues for sure. And then I'll, I'll see what I'm going to do. And that's just my attitude had always been that way. So dad, as far as, you know, giving me advice, he really didn't, you know, he was kind of hands off and all right, Brett, here you go. Here's a uniform. Just go, go have at it. You get any advice from dad growing up as, as far as because obviously you followed in his footsteps, which, uh, you know, being the voice of the Astros now, longtime Tampa Bay, uh, New York and Philly. We'll get to that a little bit later where you got to actually work with your dad and that 08 World Series, which I thought was really cool. Uh, any advice growing up? Yeah, I, I walked the same path as you did, Booney. I, uh, I had a dad who was obviously very supportive if I had any questions about broadcasting he would answer them but he never really pushed me in that direction and all through my childhood i would be keeping an out of town i would keep score of the game as a young kid like as early as nine or ten probably and then on sunday afternoons when they did the the games on wphl tv he would we would have an extra seat in the radio booth so i'd sit in the radio booth and this was before they had scores on your computer they would have a ticker tape with all the out-of-town scores so i would keep the out-of-town scoreboard for the guys and i was up in the booth so everybody just assumed as i was growing up that i was going to be a broadcaster and i kind of wasn't sure and i honestly went to college not knowing what i wanted to do but i was always in the back of my mind and after my first year at university of maryland that's when i transferred to syracuse thinking i'm going to give this a shot see if broadcasting's in it for me and if it's not i'll learn it in college and fortunately enough it's it's been the way I've been able to make a living since college. You said you went to Syracuse. Uh, <clears throat> Louisville Redbirds kind of was one of your first gigs. You went to the Mets for a couple of years. Phillies from 94 to 96. Uh, Tampa, long tenure from their beginning to 2016. And then, as we mentioned at the top, uh, the Astros 2017 to present. Todd, I, I lost count. Uh, how many how many franchises now? How many rings? How many rings you got now? <laughs> Man, uh, well, four with the Astros. And then we got the 2008 American League Championship with Tampa Bay. And I actually 
when dad passed, he gave uh, each of his boys one of his rings. So he gave uh, me the 80 ring because that was the original ring that he got. So I have I have the 80 ring. So I I have five that I've I've earned as a broadcaster or been a part of a team that earned them. Uh, I'm lucky enough to be a broadcaster for good teams. And then dad, uh, dad gave me his 80 ring. So I guess I have six in my possession. That's pretty awesome. Um, and this coming off of another World Series last year, it was, and it was cool to watch uh, that team. And, and you know, <clears throat> they go to the playoff last year, the Houston Astros. And I remember talking to my brother, and he called me, and <clears throat> he had to play you guys. And at the end of the conversation, I said, you know, that's why this game is so great, Aaron, because <clears throat> anything could happen in a short series. I said, but at the end of the day, on paper, you are an inferior team to the Houston Astros. And that's when I hung up the phone, you know, and, and he just, you know, and, and Aaron, of course, he's going to play that. No, no, he's got to have that attitude. He can't walk into the room. You know, we all have to, to, to be realistic at times. But I look at that Astros team last year. I said, they're just better. They're just flat out better up and down. They'll beat you anyway. I thought they were the best team in baseball, especially it made it easy uh, once, once the Dodgers got eliminated. Because, you know, they won 100 and whatever, 111 games or 110 games, uh, an awesome regular season. Believe me, I, I know what that's like being part of an awesome regular season and then get bumped late in the postseason. But yeah. um, for this up and coming season, 2023, how big of a how big of a loss is Verlander going to be? Or do you think that team's so wise that they have so much experience, they're just not going to miss a beat? So if we did this podcast yesterday, I would say losing Verlander, not as big a deal as almost any other team because of the depth. But now the news today, we just find out Lance McCullers Jr. won't be ready for opening day. So now that depth takes a little bit more of a hit. But uh, going back to last year, they traded a Jake Odorizzi at the trade deadline. Uh, Verlander and McCullers were hurt off and off. Yeah, Verlander and McCullers were on the injured list at various times during the season. Uh, even with those guys being on the injured list and with the eventual trade of Odorizzi, they still could never find a place to get Hunter Brown into the rotation last year. And he's one of their top pitching prospects of the last few seasons. So they still have a little bit of depth, but that depth has shrunk a little bit from last year. But if any team can handle losing a Justin Verlander, it's probably the Astros who had that old adage of you can never have enough pitching. I think the 2022 Astros were the closest I've ever seen to having enough pitching. It was remarkable from front end, first guy on that rotation, Justin Verlander, all the way to the 14th pitcher out of the bullpen. Valdez and Javier were unbelievable, and they're going to be they're going to have one more year of experience under their belt going into to this to this season. Um, real quick on the division, what do you think? Now, my Mariners finally, Todd. It's been 20 years they've been hearing that that the drum beats a year ago. Uh, not not 2022, but 21. I watched that team and they were getting better. They won 90 games, just missed the playoffs. Last year, I, th I thought they'd improved and I think they've improved even more. Now, being an Astro, <clears throat> watching those Astros on a daily basis, the Mariners have been the whooping boy for the Astros for years. It seems like every time Houston comes to Seattle, it's either two out of three or a sweep. Uh, Seattle always having the short end of the stick. They're a much better team this year. I think that division in general is going to be better. You know, that, that Mariners rotation with the young, the young kids in that rotation, the bullpen has improved a lot. You saw that a year ago. And I look at that lineup, 
They're not the Houston Astros, but I think they're a lot better. I think with Bruce Bochy and the pitching they've added in Texas, you know, Texas has kind of been at the bottom of that division for a lot of years now. I think they're going to make a little noise. So I think overall, it's not going to be as easy of a walk this year for the Astros with the improvement of the other teams in the division. Your thoughts? No, you're spot on. And it's crazy to think that it had been since you guys won the 116 (laughs) games in Seattle that they hadn't made the postseason until last year. And that 20-year drought uh, the longest in all professional sports. I mean, how do you go from a record-setting season to the longest drought? That's one of the mysteries of sport, right? Uh, but you guys, the Mariners are really good, and they took the Astros to, even though they got swept in the three-game series, Seattle could have easily won any of those games and probably should have won game one, and who knows how the series turns if Jordan Alvarez doesn't hit that two-out, three-run home run off Robbie Ray to get that uh, sweep started. So it was a great series, even though it was a 3 nothing sweep. Sometimes the final score in the games doesn't indicate how close uh, the series was. You're right about the Rangers. Other than the Mets, they spent the most money of anybody this offseason, and they spent a lot of it on their starting pitching, which has always been where they've been a little bit short, especially compared to the Astros. So they'll be better. The Angels shored up a couple of spots and added some depth pieces to their roster so yeah the al west oakland is you know doing their thing they're, they're probably not going to be a contender but the al west with the other three teams are, are much better than they've been uh in the last four or five years for sure uh another question i get asked a lot of times as a kid who was your favorite player growing up never had one you you know that that environment that was in philly you know with with how about kenny bush you remember bushy Bushy. Oh, for, for those of you listening to the podcast, Bushy is a legendary uh, <laughs> Philadelphia Phillies clubhouse guy uh, on the surface. Gave you the impression of he was the meanest man in the world <laughs> if you were a kid, but had a heart of gold. He, we, we lost him uh, a few years back, but unbelievable Bushy. I, I but I never had a favorite player, Todd. I don't know about you. I, I would come to the ballpark and it was you know, one day it was Manny Trio, and I was helping him. I was helping him paint his glove black. And <laughs> one day it was Pete, or you know, Bull lived right next door to me, so I was always hanging out with him. But it was such a cast of characters in that clubhouse. Same in the booth. And I want to talk about your dad because he he's kind of ingrained. He's and and you know, and you've heard this forever. Just like I hear about my family, you hear about it all the time. He's one of those voices that'll that'll always. Uh, be ingrained in me. Every time I came to Philly as a player, I'd come to Veterans Stadium. There were two guys I would listen for. And and you would just know when they walked in the room, that was one, your dad. And the other was Dan Baker for me. Dan Baker. Mm. And when he did the lineups on that PA announcing, you know, and he said, and for the Phillies, batting <laughs> third. The th- and I still say it to my kids today. Just when I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I don't know, I'm being a, a dork dad, and I'll be like, for the Phillies, batting third, the third baseman, and my 18 year olds look at me like, what the hell are you talking about? I said it's Dan Baker, and and I remember the last time, one of my last times at Veterans Stadium, I had Dan do my voicemail because it was just a childhood thing for me. Aaron had your dad on his voicemail forever, uh, but that it was a pretty, pretty. Uh, Big cast of characters in the booth. It was Harry Callis, Richie Ashburn. You had you had wheels for years and years. I remember back early, it was by some. Did you ever hang out with those guys? Because kind of that was your era. You know, I was you were hanging out with dad in the booth. Uh, did you have a favorite guy, a favorite uh, 
broadcaster or it was was your dad your guy? Yeah, I mean, it was a great booth. You're right. And Andy Musser was a part of that. Andy Musser. That's what I was missing. And then a lot of people know him for his national work. And we recently lost Timmy Mack. But Tim McCarver started his career broadcasting with the Phillies after his playing days were over. Um, And he and dad were very close, too. So uh, obviously, my style of broadcasting was influenced by hearing my dad do thousands and thousands of games over the years. Uh, but in terms of my favorite broadcaster back in the day, uh, we got a couple of games. Obviously, you got your local teams. So we got the Phillies broadcast. And, uh, but I used to love watching WGN and WTBS to see the Cubs and the Braves games. And WTBS at the time, Skip Carey was their main announcer. And the thing about Skip that I loved was as bad as the Braves might have been during those times, he always kept things fun and loose and entertaining. So I always gravitated towards his broadcast and I loved his style. So um, he was one of my favorite broadcasters with Skip Carey, obviously my dad. But any of those other names I've mentioned, I love those guys as well. 2008, you got to get to do an inning with with your dad. I it had to be unbelievable. I got close. The only guys I know that played together are, are the Griffies. Uh, I got a, I was in spring training with the Seattle Mariners and not in big league camp in 1990. I was in minor league camp. Dad was in big league camp with the Mariners ended up being his, uh, he'd retire after that spring training. But I remember I got a phone call from the general manager at the time in Seattle. And they said, uh, Hey, we want to bring you up for a game. You and your dad are going to play. And, I remember thinking how cool that would be, but I thought about it and I called him back. I said, and I talked to my dad about it. I said, I really don't want to do it, dad. I said, it's kind of a circus act and they're just doing it, uh, you know, from a PR standpoint. And when I get called up to play in a big league game, I want to earn it. So we both, we both kind of agreed on it. And, and looking back, I, I didn't want to do it that way. If, if, if he would have held on for one more year, maybe we'd have been able to do it. I never got to, but there's a reason in the game of baseball that, that people don't get to play together. Griffey, the fact that they played together is, is unbelievable. I think Reigns might have touched it for a second. Um, but that time in, in 2008, you got to do, uh, I believe, a postseason inning uh, with mm-hmm. your dad. Uh, was that as special as, as uh, I'm thinking it might have been? Yeah, best broadcasting moment I've ever had. And there's nothing that could ever top it. And I, you know, I wasn't even aware that you and your dad were in spring training together. That's incredibly cool. Uh, but broadcasters have that longevity and that possibility that they can work together more frequently than the, the Griffies uh, were able to do that miraculous deal where they're playing in left and center together. But yeah, we were, um, you know, we were on opposite sides in 08. Even though I worked for the Phillies 94, 95, 96, I was working the telecast on Prism. So I was working with Chris Wheeler and Gary Maddox, and I didn't really cross over and work with dad. We did a couple of spring training games together, but we never really worked uh, regular season games. Then 08 comes out, comes up. Uh, Tampa Bay Rays hadn't won 70 games, more than 70 games in their franchise history. They changed the name from the Devil Rays to the Rays, and in 08 they go on to, to have this miraculous run and win the American League Championship. And it was meant to happen. Like, uh, you know, whatever your belief system is in – I think there was a divine intervention there for the Tampa Bay Rays to face the Philadelphia Phillies in 2008. It would be dad's last final season that he was broadcasting. And the odds of the Phillies meeting the Rays in the World Series in 08 were astronomical. Just the Rays by themselves getting to the World Series would have been a thousand to one or more going into the season. So we cherished every moment. We went to 
the lunch together before the games. We went to the press conferences together. And then he talked to Rob Brooks about the possibility of us doing an inning together. And Brooks, he's like, yeah, let's make it happen. So we got to do that in Tampa Bay at Tropicana Field. And we did the in, uh, inning in game one. And it was the coolest thing ever. He, he did the main play-by-play. I was kind of his color analyst for the day, uh, for that inning. And it was uh, an inning at Tropicana Field, game one of the World Series. Harry and Todd Callis in the broadcast booth, and uh, that will never be topped in my broadcasting career. Yeah, that's that's really cool. Well, Todd Callis, I appreciate you coming on the program. That's a lot of fun catching up. Best of uh, what a great career you've had to to date, and and I want to wish you the best this year. Uh, going into that, you going for that sixth ring. Although you know, part of me, I, I got sorry, I, I got it. My heart's still in Seattle a little bit. I gotta hope they make a little bit of a run this year and 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 maybe top you. But in all seriousness, have have a have a great year. We're getting off to a to a couple days away from the first game in spring training and and off to another season. So I appreciate you coming on as we do each and every Boone podcast at the end of the podcast is we kick it back to the voice of the podcast. And that voice is Dan Levy. Dan, that's going to wrap it up for the Boone podcast. My name is Dan Levy and I'm the technical director, producer and voice of the Boone podcast. The executive producer is Rich Herrera. The digital content for the Boone podcast is provided by Liz Landry. Please share the Boone podcast with neighbors and friends and make sure you subscribe to the Boone Podcast so you never miss an episode of the show. And while you're at it, please give it a five-star rating and share your feelings about the Boone Podcast by leaving a review on whatever platform you listen to the show. For all of us here on the Boone Podcast, I'm Dan Levy. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 